Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, that's my son. We went over to his aunt's house, which is uh, my wife's twin sister. I uh, got Dave's ladder out of his garage, climbed up to this little nook she has in her entryway, and I shuffled around some decor, and I grabbed a hold of that guitar, very dusty, and I brought it down, and uh, it was fun to see Nick's excitement, um, even though uh, it was sort of broken and beat up. Um, It was fun to see him all excited, and uh, I wasn't excited at all. I thought, wow. I don't see it. I don't see it. Um, Anyway, we wondered right there together how many times we had walked past that thing, visiting them. It's got to be just, you know, an immeasurable amount of times that we walked by that thing and and didn't notice that it was there. Well, uh, Christmas can be the same way. Uh, Christmases come and go, and it's very likely your Christmas looks a lot like it did last year. And perhaps in years past, it's easy at Christmas uh, to not really think about what the meaning of Christmas really is, because we get very family-centric, we get uh, nostalgic, Uh, we have lots of warm feelings, we have time off, there's traditions that we follow, and there's obligations we have to keep in. And, And Christmas is sort of special. But maybe it doesn't have the full meaning it's supposed to have for you. Well, so I want to talk about what it means. I want to get right to it. And I want to talk about how do you come to grips with what it means for you personally. Because it means something for you personally. Uh, So we're going to sort of bypass the circumstances of Christ's birth, and we're going to get right to the essence of it. And here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy um, and chapter 1. He says, It's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. So that's sort of how he starts, and that centerpiece is the meaning of Christmas and probably the, the fewest words you can use to describe it. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Now, there's a couple things around that verse that help us understand what it means personally. Uh, So, um, it's a trustworthy statement. So, that's the first thing Paul wants to sort of reinforce reinforce to anyone hearing it. For the first time or the millionth time, really consider what I'm telling you because it's true. And then the second thing that comes is it's deserving of full acceptance. It requires something of you. You're going to see Christmas is demanding. It's challenging. Christmas is going to challenge you. It's real meaning. And it deserves full acceptance. So Paul has this positive idea that you're going to, that you're, you need to accept it. And then the f- third thing around it, look at the bottom. He says, among whom I am foremost of all. Literally, it means just I'm the worst of all. No one is worse than me. That's what he says. Now, you might be thinking, uh, so, you, so you, it requires not only that you think, this is where the challenge of Christmas really is, because it's going to force you to think about you. 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to force you to assess yourself. And if you really understand the meaning of Christmas, that's what you do or you have done it. Um, so what you got to do, this is what you have to do and it's really hard to do. You have to take everyone else out of your head. The people who are better than you and the people who are worse than you. Take them all out and just see yourself. Now, you might be thinking, well, it sounds a little bit like you're, you're turning Christmas into too much of a doctrine for me. Um, I'm just trying, you might be thinking, I'm just trying not to be the worst guy. I mean, isn't there some merit in not being the worst guy? I mean, I'm so glad he said that, because that makes me feel better. You think, well, I'd rather avoid doctrine on a day like today. Well, let me just say, you want to avoid doctrine, you say, I just want to try to live a good life. Isn't that what really what we ought to get out of Christmas? Well, you've just, I just want you to know that if you believe that, you just stated a doctrine. And that doctrine, here's what that doctrine means. I can save myself. I don't need anyone to save me. I can save myself. I can collect enough of my stuff together in life and save myself. Well, what Paul is saying is, God has gone to infinite lengths to be here in the most intimate and most personal of ways. That's what the birth is about. So Christmas doesn't start in a manger in Bethlehem. Hear this. It starts in the womb of a woman in Nazareth. That's how close, that's how intimate, that's how personal Christmas really is. Uh, one unknown poet said this, Though Christ a thousand times in Bethlehem be born, if he's not born in me, my soul is still forlorn. That's what Paul is saying. And God is saying, I want a personal relationship with you. I sent my son to make that happen. You say, to save sinners, what does that mean? Well, in the next chapter, very next chapter in 1 Timothy 2, Paul actually writes this. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. There's the word again. Which means to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men. That's the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. He paid a debt. You say, how do you save sinners? You pay their debt. The testimony given at the proper time. So that's what Paul is arguing. Now, if you want to come to grips with Christmas personally, then here's what you can expect to happen. Two real, personal, life-altering experiences. And I want to give them to you. And Paul's going to help us. Uh, first is, you, you will be overwhelmed by grace. This is how you know you really understand the meaning of Christmas. You will literally be overwhelmed by grace. So let's talk about what that means. Uh, because Paul is going to say in this next verse, this is back to our first chapter. This is uh, in the same paragraph that we're looking at. He says, for this reason I found mercy. So that in me is the foremost, there he is saying again, the worst sinners. Christ might demonstrate something. Uh, his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm an example for every person who would ever get the meaning of Christmas. I'm an example of what it looks like to believe in him and have eternal life. Okay? Uh, and the word example is prototype. That's the Greek word. I mean, Paul is saying, I'm the pattern. Look at my life and you'll see exactly how to get the meaning of Christmas and what happens if you do. 
two real-life experiences Paul's about to show us. So what happened to Paul? Here's what he says in, the, in, these, in this paragraph. He says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. Now, this is profound what Paul says here, and I, I want to uh, really help you understand what he's saying, because Paul thought he was right. You know what, he, what it means by he was a blasphemer and a persecutor and violent, and the word violent is really where we get our word hubris. It's arrogance. Paul thought he, he was ignorant in an, an unbelief, but even in his sincerity, he tried to dominate and trample over anyone who believed in Christ. This is why Paul thought he was the worst guy. Because the very Savior that he loves now, he completely trampled over anyone. Paul had this sincerity about him, so much so of what he believed, that he literally had to trample on other people. And let me just tell you something about sin, uh, because we need to understand this. It's not just your heart doing all the worst evil acts. You say, I'm not the worst. That doesn't, that doesn't rescue you here. Because even our good, even our sincere good, we will, be arrog- we will be arrogant about and think, God, we deserve something. And that's when grace overwhelms you. I'll tell you when grace overwhelms you. Grace overwhelms you when not only do you go, oh my gosh, in light of the things that I've done that I shouldn't have done, I'm getting grace. It's even greater than that. It's when you look at the good things you've done and say they are not good enough. That's when you've been overwhelmed by grace. That's what I mean by overwhelmed by grace. Not even your good meets the standard. That's why Christ had to come. So the same heart that commits evil acts produces arrogance that thinks it's better than others and that it deserves divine favor. Paul knew what grace was. Because not only did he do horrible things, he did what he thought were great things, and even those things needed grace because of his arrogance underneath them. This is profound. So Paul says, listen to what he says in the next verse. The grace of our Lord was more than abundant. In spite of all that I've done, in in spite of me thinking I'm the worst person in the world, his grace was, literally it's one Greek word, superabundant grace. It's the only time this compound word is used in your New Testament. Paul is saying, a super amount of grace was poured on me. You need a super amount of grace to cover the bad and the good. Now, let me tell you what happens when you come to grips with this grace. There's a moment, again, when you realize not just your sin, but the fact that you trust something good about yourself, that God might owe you something. And so in this moment, In the moment when you're overwhelmed by grace, no one else's sin matters. That's why Paul thought his sin was the worst. Because in the moment you're overwhelmed by grace, it's only your sin that matters. It's as if you're the only sinner in the world when grace overwhelms you. You're not comparing yourself to anyone. You're just going, I desperately need grace. That's when it overwhelms you. That's the meaning of Christmas. Uh... Let me give you a picture. When, uh, when I, I grew up in Miami, Florida, and uh, my parents were very young when they had me. They weren't married, and they got married, and that was a mess. And they were young. It was in the uh, 60s. Um, 
drug, sex, and rock and roll. My father was all caught up in it. He was a, unfortunately, my father grown up thinking that his middle name was stupid, literally. His, his self-esteem is, was one of the worst you could have ever imagined. And he took it out on life. He basically became self-destructive, angry, miserable, didn't thought he amount to anything. And so by the time I was in second grade, I had two younger sisters and he left. He was a broken man. He was immoral. He was, you know, a heroin addict for seven years. Uh, had to run from the law constantly. Uh, I come home from school, and I hadn't seen my dad in all these years. I come home from school one day, I'm about to enter eighth grade, and my mom is crying in the back bedroom, and I walk in there, and I said, what's the matter? And she hands me the phone. On the other end is my dad, and he's crying. I'm sorry, son. I need help. I'm 31 years old, and I haven't had solid food in 30 days, and um, I don't think I'm going to make it. This was his plea for help. So my mom, we found a rehabilitation center. And long story short, my father father found Christ in there and his entire life turned around. Now, in the meantime, I'm away for a while and I come to visit him. And uh, and then mom thinks it would be a great idea because he's graduating from this 18-month rehab program and he's a completely different man with Christ in his life. So she says, why don't you move in with him for the summer? You and your sisters ought to move in with him for the summer and get to know him again. And so we did. And now Christ is at the center and... uh, and I'm, I just can't believe what we're seeing. We're just amazed. So I'm 14 years old, and uh, I have two sisters, and I got to tell you, um, it was not hard to be better than them. It was not hard. I had two monkey sisters. I had two monkey sisters who could, they hate, they sort of, sort of uh, bristled at the idea of being there in spiritual things, but I was this different kind of kid. In this crazy home that I grew up with, I was a kid that was always obedient, always respected authority, always did my homework. I did not do what all my other friends were doing when they were doing something wrong. I could, I could walk away from it. Uh, I followed the rules. I was that kid. And I was always praised for it in my messed up house and world. The single mom doing her best, man after man, trying to make life work. I, I was just this kid just caught up in my own world, but I felt really good because I was better than some other people. I didn't realize the pride there until later that summer when I got down on my knees. My father led me to Christ. And I remember getting down on my knees. And you know, when I got down on my knees, I didn't commit near the sins that my father committed. But I didn't have time. I was only 14. But I realized my heart had pride in it. It was deceitful. It wasn't pure was lustful. Um, I found my identity. I had to find my identity in something. And for me, it was sports. It was sports and just being better than my sisters. It reminds me of a little story. I've I've read it to you before, but I love it. It's a little, little letter that this boy writes to Santa. There are three boys living in my house. Jeffrey is two. He's good some of the time. David is four. He's good some of the time. Norman is seven. He's good all the time. I'm Norman. That's what he said. That's how I felt. I felt like Norman. It's all I had to do is be better than them. But I just, and I just want to think about your life and your situation for a second, sort of uh, bring this to some sort of application. Because you might be thinking about your situation and you're going, listen, man, I've heard this story before. I've heard people share Christ before. And you just don't know my situation. 
you might be thinking, my life's a little messed up. It looks a little bit like that guitar, not very playable. Uh, And on top of that, it's complicated. You don't know the complications in my life right now. And you might even think your life is irreparable. This thing's never, ever going to get on track, and all I do is wake up every day and try to make it through the day. Just get to the end of the day. Pretty soon they turn into weeks and years, and you stay in sort of a hopeless situation. Or you could be on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. You could be the person who says, listen, I've lived long enough. My life is pretty set. It's really not that messy at all. It's pretty simple, and in fact, I want to keep it that way. So what you're saying is going to sort of disrupt my world a little bit because I like the simplicity of my life. Some of you might like your reputation, and it's your reputation that keeps you from coming to know Christ, not the bad you've done. You know, I had a grandfather who was uh, the man, stubborn, hard-headed, everybody knew it, tough nut to crack, uh, never going to show humility, and he couldn't receive Christ even though he loved me. And even though he would come hear me preach, it, it, it made his skin crawl to walk into a church. And so he was the kind of person who was just known for being stubborn, known for never going to give in, and that became his reputation. That reputation kept him, I think, all the way until he got cancer and could hardly breathe anymore. Could I actually talk to him about Christ? And even then it was brief. Because that stubbornness he wouldn't let go of it. So you're either one of these people who you're saying, look, my life's a little messed up. I got to get it together first. Then I'll come to know Christ. Or you'll be one of these people who says, uh, you know, my, my life's actually pretty, pretty good and I don't want to mess it up. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Paul said his grace is super abundant. When he comes into your life and saves you, Let me just tell you, he gives you enough grace to handle the situation and the mess and the complications of your life that right now you think, I couldn't fit Christ in here. I couldn't fit him in here. Let me tell you, that was my father's life. He had no life. And God changed the trajectory of his life. Do you know how many things my father had to make right? Do you know what a mess it was to enter back into his world? I was 14 years old and I just, my, my whole life was wrapped up in sports. I, that was my identity. I, I, would, I wanted to be a professional player. Only one thing held me back. Talent. That was it. <laughs> Other than that, I was on my way, baby. That was my life. And then just being a little better than the people around me, you know. If I could do that, I was fine. But, but here's the truth. My life had to, I had to, I had to change I had to let go of a girlfriend. I had to call my mom at the end of that summer and say, I'm, I'm not coming home. I'm staying with dad. It changed the trajectory of my entire life. That phone call was the hardest phone call, the hardest thing I've ever done since I've come to know Christ, was tell my mom, who was by my side and rescued my behind and loved us and worked three jobs and did all this stuff. I had to tell her no. But Christ gave me the grace to do the hardest things in my life. That's what Paul is saying. Super abundant grace to change everything. And that leads to the second point. Here's the last verse I want to show you. Here's what Paul says, because here's the second point. Not will you only be overwhelmed by grace when you get the meaning of Christmas. Even your good will look bad to you when you're overwhelmed by grace. But you'll be transformed by it too. 
Could you say, I don't know how I could ever. I know you could never. I don't know how I could ever. I know you can't. But the grace is big enough. It's overwhelming enough. It transforms you. It changes your life. Here's what Paul says. Now, now my life's different. To the king eternal, immortal, invisible, and the only God, I will spend the rest of my life giving him honor and glory forever. That's my life now. He's the most important thing in my life. Nothing else is important. This is how you get transformed by grace. Uh, And this is sort of an outburst. This is Paul saying, I got to tell you, Christ, his grace, has changed my whole tune. I remember when Nicky grabbed the guitar and finally had it in his hand, he made this line. He said this line. He said, this, this, this guitar is going to write songs. And I, that's exactly what God did in my life. He just changed my whole tune. And so the real meaning of Christmas, when you've experienced it, you know when he came to earth and he gave his life a ransom for you, this is not only infinitely wonderful, it's totally revolutionizing That's the challenge of Christmas, is to make him the singular and sovereign in your life. Nothing is ultimate. Nothing else is ultimate. Whatever you had is ultimate. He's the ultimate authority. He's the king. He's the ultimate reality. And by the way, you need something outside of this life. That's what Paul is saying. I have come in in touch with the God of all eternity. Listen, if you do not worship God, Okay, because that doctrine offends you or whatever. You've created your own doctrine, and you think you can save yourself, and you worship something else. You worship something else. But here's the thing. There's nothing else you can worship that you'll be able to do forever and ever. Only him. That's him. And this is Paul saying, if he's not the ultimate in your life, if anything else is, like if money is, or if your looks are, some people are really just, their, their whole identity is in their looks. Their whole identity is in their, uh, their stuff. Or it's uh, in their health. Like really just committed to their health. And they just love the fact that they're healthier than other people. Or anything. Nothing else can be ultimate. Look what Paul says. The only God. The only God. There is no other God. So if he's not your God, you've made something else your God. And so Paul has changed his identity uh, completely and his hope. I remember when my dad uh, first started to share Christ with me, he gave me a verse, and I actually memorized it before I even gave my life to Christ, and it was 2 Corinthians 5.17. And the verse uh, goes like this. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. You're overwhelmed by grace, and you're transformed. Let me close by just saying this to you. I I was looking at the words, something about looking at a Christmas hymn and not singing it, but just saying it. Listen to the words of O Holy Night, because I think it's a great way to sum up Christmas. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, till he appeared. 
And I love this line. I fell in love with this line. And the soul found its worth. Isn't that a great line? See, this is what happens when you get overwhelmed by grace. All of a sudden, your worth is not in anything else anymore. It's in Christ only, and that's what transforms you. He becomes the ultimate thing that you want to honor in glory. You don't, you don't seek anything else. You get transformed by that same grace. The soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope. You got that? Do you have a thrill of hope? How about the weary world rejoices? You weary, are you rejoicing weary? And then he says, for yonder brings a new and glorious morn. You know how you make Christmas not just another Christmas or another day? You let Christ come into your life and create a whole new era, a whole new big day, a new reality. That's, that's Christmas. You're overwhelmed by grace where even your good doesn't look good to you anymore. And, you, and he becomes your singular focus. You trust nothing else. You seek nothing else. You find your identity only in him. And your soul find its worth. So what I want to do is just tell you, we're about to sing for a little bit. And I pray it's the most important seven, eight minutes of your life as you just think to yourself, have I really ever been overwhelmed by grace? Do I know that kind of forgiveness? Have I experienced a new day? Has my soul found its worth? Because I'm going to tell you what I want you to do during the singing. You just ask God for that grace. You say, God, I need that grace. In my complication or in my simplicity, I need your grace to figure out how to go forward from here. And I'll just receive you into my life, and I'll let you handle that. Because his grace is super abundant. And he will do that. So, listen to... Uh, why don't you bow your heads? Let me just really quickly pray. Uh, Father, just at least one person tonight will get the real meaning of Christmas. Personally. Not for everyone, not for the group, not for the family. Individually, personally, because that's what you want. You want to be at the center of our individual lives. Father, this Christmas we let you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.